The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Thirty-five years ago, we visited my father's youngest sister and her husband in Colorado. And while we were there, we talked about my father's family and what it meant for my aunt to be the youngest of twelve, and the only one who doesn't live here, but instead lived far away. You know, when you visit family and you stay overnight, you have conversations that you wouldn't have other, at other times. And so um, my aunt pointed out something to which I had never paid any attention, which is that my father's family is very ordered. No decisions about large family ma matters are made without consulting all of the brothers and sisters, that the oldest is the leader and all the others have specific roles. And then the shopper for me, in their minds, it mattered that I'm the oldest son of the oldest son, even though I'm not the oldest of the cousins. I'm number five of 52. <laughs> and it was my choice if I wanted to take on that role of family leader after my father. Now, you have to understand what leader means in that family. There's the authority in the role only to the extent that it is used collaboratively or not used at all. For example, supposedly the leader arranged the date and place for the annual family reunion, but what he actually did was talk to my aunts and find out what date they'd agreed on, and then he would communicate that to the cousin who is arranging the reunion. And uh, the leader announces the beginning of the family reunion meal and asks someone to say the prayer, although if he's more than 20 minutes late, his younger brother will take over and get things started. It's an easy job, and it's largely symbolic. The leader bears the mantle of my benevolent and fun-loving grandfather who took great delight in his large family. The prophet Elijah, the name means the Lord is God, was the first of the prophets. 
but his job was much more difficult than the one that I was training for. Elijah was the one who constantly contested with the spineless and wicked King Ahab of Israel and his Baal-worshipping wife Jezebel, announcing to them repeatedly that the Lord was not with them because they did not attend to God's word and will. In fact, so Jezebel repeatedly tried to have Elijah killed because he spoke the truth that she did not want to hear. More than once, Elijah complained to the Lord about his fate and about the trouble that doing what God told him to do got him into. But he continued in his thankless role and through his faithfulness became the first and foremost of the prophets. Unlike the so-called major prophets of the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, there are no prophetic writings named for, for Elijah. Despite that, when in the New Testament the prophets are invoked, it's Elijah's name that is mentioned. In Jesus' time, people wondered if John the Baptist was Elijah come back to announce the Messiah, as it was believed Elijah would do since he was taken into heaven alive. When Jesus describes the continuity of his teaching with that of Judaism, he refers to the law and the prophets. When it comes time for the law and the prophets to be embodied in Jesus' transfiguration, it's Moses and Elijah in whom they are embodied. And even today, Jews retain the hope of Elijah's return as forerunner to the Messiah by setting a place for him at the Passover table. But in today's first lesson, Elijah has completed his work and is going to be taken into heaven. Elisha, whose name means God saves, has been Elijah's apprentice and has followed in Elijah's footsteps. He wants to follow Elijah to his end, to be with him as he is taken up. Elijah, like the parent uh, who dies while his children are away from the bed, tries to protect Elisha by putting him off and lying three times about where he is going. First, Elijah says to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha persists in going with him. Next, Elijah says he's only going to Jericho and that Elisha should not bother to go along. But Elisha refuses to leave. And then Elijah says he's only going to the Jordan. And again, Elisha refuses to leave. After they get to the Jordan and Elijah parts the water with his mantle, they cross the Jordan. And finally, Elijah gives up and asks Elisha what it is that he wants. Elisha asks for a double share of Elijah's spirit. Elijah's response, you have asked for a hard thing, Yet, if you see me as I have been taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As Elisha watched, Elijah was taken into heaven in a chariot of fire. Only his mantle, the loose robe worn by people in ancient times remained, symbolic of his prophetic office and spirit. Elisha picked it up 
and continued in the prophetic role of his mentor. I sometimes read this story at funerals, uh, particularly if it's the funeral of someone who's the last of the generation or has been a particularly significant figure in that family and is actually passing on the role of, of leader. It raises, though, the question of what is the mantle of faith that has been passed to us and what will we do with it? With what do we clothe or surround ourselves? What's the legacy that we will pass on? A friend said to me that she was more concerned about a deeper relationship with her mother than with God. And we may say, so what? But it bothered her. She realized that she'd been more concerned about what she was receiving than with what she would pass on, what witness her life was making. She wants it to be the mantle of faith in Jesus that she will pass on to her friends and her children and grandchildren. She wants them to be wrapped in the same faith in Christ in which she has been nurtured. Paul says, we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. God's love, God's presence, God's rule through Jesus is the substance of the mantle of faith with which we were clothed at baptism. We have an advantage over the disciples at the Transfiguration. We know about Jesus' death and resurrection, so we know wherein our hope for eternal life is to be found. They did not know what to make of the Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus, the cloud, the voice from the cloud. It was only after Jesus' death and resurrection that it could be understand, understood that they were glimpsing the future before they started their journey to Jerusalem and Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the glimpses of Jesus' resurrection glory granted and promised that make it possible for us to look ahead to Lent and to think about the mantle or legacy of faith that we will pass on. Will our legacy be trust in God or in ourselves and in the security that we can construct through a job or education or money? Will the mantle we pass on be devotion to following Jesus or following whatever is popular and acceptable? Will our legacy be trust in the word of God in human form, Jesus, or trust in ourselves? As Elijah passed the mantle of faith of Israel to Elisha, so we pass on what we believe is most important. Whenever someone is baptized, promises are made to ensure that faith in Jesus Christ is passed on to them from us, that they'll be brought to worship, that they'll be taught the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, the Ten Commandments, and instructed in the Christian faith, that they will live in the covenant of their baptism and in communion with the church so they may lead a godly life until Jesus comes again. The mantle of faith in Jesus is more than what we have to give or leave. It is that to which we have been grafted in baptism, the church, the body of Christ, the communion of saints, 
Jesus' death and resurrection, the hope of everlasting life. This is the legacy we have received through baptism and participation in the community of faith in Jesus Christ. This is the mantle that we can pass on with joy and hope to those who come after us. They too can have their lives transformed and know the hope to which we are grafted through our baptism into Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the goal of the journey of Lent on which we embark this week. And it is the goal of our ministry together in Christ's name. Amen.